Good to have you back here on a Thursday afternoon. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Sports talk ready to go as we get you two and a half hours in. 915-505-6009. Our telephone number, that's 915-505-6009. Good show lined up for you today, especially with uh, Jay Jaffe coming on with us uh, from the Cape. He'll be joining us uh, in about 20 minutes. We've got Barry Coburn at 5. Uh, he'll talk about the brand new uh, lineup for this year's West Star Bank Don Haskins Sumble Invitation. And that's going to feature a familiar name that we haven't heard in over 50 years. Excited about that. And then uh, at 6 o'clock, uh, continuing our focus for uh, Hall of Fame week uh, as we profile each of the class of 2022 for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame with Wright Stanton joining us at 6 and then uh, Hags will be with us after that. So, a lot to get to. First off, Adrian, thank you very much for taking care of the show every day but last Friday. That was Duke and Lou Romano, who I appreciate their help as well. But thank you. And, uh, man, you've been busy. I, I know you've had help, though, along the way getting this thing going. Yeah, Steve, welcome back to you. I'm, I'm happy that you had a great vacation. I, I can't wait to hear the review uh, here on the show. And then, uh, yeah, special thanks to guys like Angel Munoz, Sal Montes, Jason Craig making appearances all week long uh, here on the show. So it's been a lot of fun. How many Adrian's movie reviews have I missed since I've been gone? No, none. We we saved them all, so we're ready to go. You so, put them uh, on hold. Yes, we were talking new movies. We we taught we still gave love to our great friends at Almo Draft House, who nice. brings us uh, uh, the Adrian movie reviews. But it's not the same because no one's seen these movies. So I'm like talking point. to a wall over here. Nah, that's a good point. I get you. So we will get to do the movie review again today. Excited about that. That'll be great. Listen, New York City was fun. A lot of fun. Uh, was there for a week. Probably longer than um, you know some people would expect, but you know what? When you travel to New York for the first time in five and a half years, you want to get your money's worth. You want to make sure that you see everything you needed to see and do everything you needed to do. And by the way, this trip was packed full of everything. Uh, some family, some friends, a Billy Joel concert at Madison Square Garden. Uh, which was the point of this trip. That was we we actually built the whole week around that. Once that got done, um, it also included a Yankee game at Yankee Stadium, a Mets game at City Field, um, a trip to the American Museum of Natural History over there in Central Park, um, a Circle Line cruise, the best of New York City around the whole island of Manhattan. Which, by the way, let me just say this couple things if you've never been to the museum of natural history that's where um you know night at the museum they, they they based the three movies on that it is an absolute must it is so so incredible it really is because you think about the dinosaurs and that's you know the big thing you see the dinosaur wing with all the uh you know all, all of the different fossils what they found and and all the dinosaurs that they've recreated but there's so much more. We had the, the shark exhibit when we were there, the planetarium, having a chance to see uh, all the life uh, beyond Earth, which was, uh, which was cool, too. And, um, you know, it's just it's four floors. It's packed full of stuff. It's educational. But it doesn't matter if you're a kid or you're an adult. I mean, the American Museum of Natural History, to me, is, is a must when you're in New York City. Start off with that. That's awesome, Steve. I'm glad that you guys got a chance to go there. I've never, I've never been to New York, so I, I got to make the trip one day. You do, um, yeah, and and that will definitely be on the list because I've heard a lot of people say the same thing that that is a must visit when you go to New York. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's 100 percent right. And I'll tell you something else. Um, you know, 
the cruise around the island was a lot of fun too. We've I've I've been to New York. I mean, you know, originally from there. We've visited since we were kids. We've never done that. It's crazy to think, but that's something we've never ever done in all your years never taken a certain we've we've taken the boat to the to the statue of liberty that we've done and liberty island we've never cruised around new york before and and around um you know around the island of manhattan so that was new that was the we did that this time around with the circle line cruise two and a half hours and we probably went under about um i don't know 20 bridges Every big bridge you could imagine was 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 around there, and then you see all the architecture, just the way Manhattan looks from so many different vantage points. Then you got New Jersey, you've got Queens, you've got the Bronx, you've got Brooklyn. So no matter where you go, you've got something else, and uh, that was really cool too, um, because we've never done that before. And Circle Line did a great job with that. Uh, the cruise flies by. You feel like you know you've seen it all. You take pictures from every vantage point. Great. They get nice and close to the Statue of Liberty. That was really, really cool. So definitely recommend if you go to New York for the first time or like us, you go and you've never been. Hey, you got to check that out too. So the Circle Line Cruise is definitely on the recommendation list. Do they also like? Do you get fed on that, or is it everybody can f- like free flow around the boat and area and stuff like that? How does that work? They have concessions. Oh, nice. Okay. So they sell food. They have so it's beer. Big. It's like everything. A big oh, it's deal. huge. Yeah, there's. They've got different levels. You can either go outside, inside, probably holds a couple hundred people, wow. and uh, get a chance to see that. That's way cool. It yeah. was very cool. I mean, that's again, I like that. Things we've never done before. That was on the list, too. Um, but to say you get to go to Madison Square Garden twice, because we had the Billy Joel concert Friday night, then we went back to watch the Rangers play the Lightning the next night, which was cool because they had the ice down. The Zambonis were out, even though they were on the road. They 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 piped in the ESPN feed on the scoreboard, and then they had about eighteen thousand fans at the Garden uh, watching that. That is so. That would be something that I would love to be a part of because if you're at a watch party like that, you get all the emotion. Now I know. I'm sorry, Steve. I I know that what ended up happening in that game uh, and, and what ended up happening to the Rangers, but still to be in that kind of environment at Madison Square Garden, I mean, that's awesome right there. My son heard words that have never been uttered before, and I said, I looked at him and I'm like, and he looked at me with a kind of a smile on his face. And I'm thinking, no, you can't repeat that. You can't say those things so ever. He knew. <laughs> He knew. Gosh, that, that's so cool that yeah. he had a chance to go to. Yeah, because that. in between the periods, we'd go around the concession stands and the fans would be pissed because the team was playing terrible. They hadn't scored up until the third period, and it was bad. So uh, yeah, fans were just and, – and it was an elimination game, and they lost. That's the worst part oh, about it. man. We bought the tickets because they were 10 bucks each. All the money went to charity. We bought the tickets during game five thinking this would be the clincher that they would go to the cup and you'd go and celebrate. Not that this would be an elimination game and they would go and lose. So that was rough. Uh, very rough. I, I can't believe that you know there there were that many. First off, there were that many fans for this this kind of event right there. But I can't believe everybody was just that uh, upset. You know, like during the, the middle of different periods. Oh my god! Think I guess about that's this. New York, right it's, there, right? It's a packed house, and not only that, these are not your typical Ranger fans because these are people that you know. I looked into getting Game Five tickets at the Garden. And to sit up in the nosebleeds was going to cost me seven hundred dollars. Oh man, this was ten bucks. So, you know, for, for these are a lot of fans that are Ranger fans but can't afford to go to the Garden. Oh, so it's a little drunk. These crowd. are the diehards. These are the fans that wanted to be in the arena to roar when they score and celebrate when they win, not to. Uh, scream and curse when they lose, but that's just the way it was. So it was one of those kind of experiences. But that was fun. 
Um, uh, Sunday afternoon, Yankee Stadium. Saw the Yankees destroy the Cubs. Game was over in the second inning. And uh, two days later, City Field Tuesday night to go watch the Mets bomb the Brewers. Now, so we did the Garden, Yankee Stadium, City Field, all in this one trip. And by the way, huge thank you to uh, Mario Mocha at New Mexico State. Pulled some strings to help us out for the uh, baseball games. So thank you, Mario. And um, and that was great, too. So Mario came up big for us. And so did uh, uh, Doug Eddings. And that was nice because that really helped us out in a big way. Um, they were, and the two stadiums couldn't be more different if you tried. Yankee Stadium is exactly what you think it would be. Um, you know, you're going in there and, and um, I, the Yankee fans are fun. They were lively. They were, they were celebrating. They, they destroyed them. But it doesn't have the same family feel the way City Field does. City Field is more like a larger version of Southwest University Park. That's the best way to describe it. There's a lot of things happening around City Field during a Mets game. Okay, so Yankees, you're going and all you're fixated on is the game. And That's in it. City Field, there's everything else. There's the, there's the game and everything else. Exactly right. Exactly right. But, um, I mean, they're both playing great baseball. I mean, the Yankees are playing terrific baseball. The Mets, they've tailed off. And, the, and by the way, the Braves are hotter than uh, you know what. They've won 14 in a row. So the, the lead is not what it once was. But both great experiences. The city was terrific. It only rained once. And that was, uh, I, it didn't even, I mean, it didn't even rain during the day. It, it rained like overnight. So the weather was ideal, 70s and 80s. But between the subway rides, we walked a ton. By the way, you, uh, you ever you ever like looked at how many steps you have over the course of a uh, day? Yeah, I like that. I All like right. doing that. And then how many miles you walk a day? What's a good day for you walking-wise? How many miles? Uh, you know, I haven't actually ch- – I just look at the rings, like making sure the rings close. So that's about it for me. We In, in six days in New York City, six, we totaled 48 miles of walking. Wow, okay. So we walked. Gosh. Which is what you do. You walk in the city. So that's what we did. Um, closed all the steps yeah, in. Got the steps, closed the rings. That was the important thing. Spend way too much money on food because everything is expensive. But um, it was fun. It was, it was a good trip. Really, really good trip. Happy we went. Happy to be back. Came back yesterday afternoon while Sports Talk was on the air and it was 104 degrees outside. And I thought, what are we coming back to? The weather here is just... It's it's summer in El Paso. That's what it is, right? Summer in El Paso. Killer, killer weather right now. And we just got a gift today. We found out New Mexico State is coming to the West Star Bank Don Haskins Sumble Invitation. And that doesn't happen ever. So, I mean, what a parting gift for the Aggies. They're going into Conference USA next year. They're going to be in the same league with UTEP. So why not? The last year, they're in the whack in basketball. Let them join the tournament. And potentially, Adrian, potentially, we could have three games between UTEP and New Mexico State in basketball this year. Wow, really? Oh, well, yeah, the championship game, possibly. Right. Yeah. If the Aggies can get past Kent State and UTEP can get past, was it, North Carolina A&T? Yeah, t Then they would meet in the championship game of the uh, West Star Bank Don Haskins Sumble Invitation, but they'll still play again at the Haskins Center in a non-tournament game and play at the Pan Am Center in the home-and-home. 
So this does not interfere with the home and home. So we could get three games between these two teams this year, and we probably will. Let's let's be honest. Like those, you know, New Mexico State is probably going to end up being, and Kent State's a good team. Yes, uh, and so is North Carolina A and T. But yeah, the stars are aligning for three matchups in the Battle of I ten. I love this for so many reasons, and the field's pretty good this year for the Sun Bowl Invitational as well. I think it is too. I'm with you on that one. It is good for the Sun Bowl Invitational. Listen, when you get first off, Kent State's always good. North Carolina A&T's been to the tournament before. And then you got UTEP in New Mexico State. It's a bonus. Isn't there a Thanksgiving tournament coming up? Yeah, the MTE that, that just came up with UTEP, they're in this one as well. It's Alcorn State. It's Cal Baptist. And uh, it's also Texas A&M uh, Corpus Christi. What is that? Is yeah. that, U- that going to be a UTEP tournament? It is going to be a UTEP tournament. Jeff Goodman first reported it yesterday. Um, and then uh, Joe Golden confirmed it on the podcast that we've got up as well. So, yes, this will be a thing. What is that exactly? So it allows schools to host these little uh, exemption tournaments and then actually host teams. So I think that this was kind of a version that what UTEP did last year. Remember when they went on the road for that game against Pacific? I do. And then they had another road game in between, and then they had a home game against UC Riverside. So that was kind of like this, except for UTEP's uh, able to host all three, uh, and and that's the case for them on this end. But it's not really a tournament, or is it a tournament? No, it's not a tournament at all. It just allows. Three games that's designed like a tournament. Correct. That's exactly right. Yes. So it's like a, it's an early season. It's not an invitational. It's just kind of like a. It's called a multi-team event. That's to what get it's it, what it is. It's a way to get extra games in without uh, messing with your total. Correct, because UTEP has already twenty conference games scheduled, and they will only have eleven non-conference games in the mix. But this makes them uh, fourteen non-conference games, right? Because does this allow? Cause this doesn't count against your total. Uh, I, from what I understood, that's correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's from what I understood. Do we know when the schedule is going to be released? I, when Joe Golding talked to me yesterday, he said the uh, he's only waiting on one more game, so uh, I guess relatively soon. Good. Good to hear. All right. It's gonna be Speaking of good, it's going to be a good show today. We have a lot to get to. So, uh, Gator Richard, hang on the line. I'll get to you in a moment. Up next, Jay Jaffe will join us. A little bit later, Barry Coburn. It's going to be a fun one. Good to be back. Good to have you with us here on this Thursday edition of Sports Talk. So much to get to, but first, here's Charlie One with traffic. Time to talk a little baseball and beer here as we continue uh, on Sports Talk. Jump back out uh, to our uh, 600 ESPN El Paso hotline and uh, say hello to Jay Jaffe, who uh, joins us this week from Fangraphs uh, on location. He is at Cape Cod for his annual retreat. And, uh, Jay, first off, great to have you back. Great to see you last week uh, when we were in New York together. And uh, always fun to to visit uh, over at uh, Three's Brewing, one of uh, the favorite landing spots you talk about a lot here on this program when we get a chance to review some beer yeah that was fun and it was uh good to good to get our kids together you you finally got to meet uh uh robin in all of her uh hyperactive glory and uh uh you know it's uh, good times we've, we've established a nice little tradition in, in uh, visiting threes together no doubt about it and uh, that brewery definitely lived up to its reputation that's for sure uh meanwhile as we Begin our chat. Uh, a lot of things are going around Major League Baseball these days. Tyler Anderson nearly had uh, a no hitter all the way till the ninth inning yesterday, and Shohei Otani of all people broke that up and uh, almost had uh, history in the making out there for Dodger fans. 
Yeah, that was that was uh, that was heart wrenching to watch. I mean, Anderson has been such a great uh, addition to the team. He was signed as their sixth starter, uh, and thanks to an improved changeup, he has been lights out. Uh, really helping out with the injuries uh, to Clayton Kershaw and and Al Walker Bueller, uh, picking up some of the slack. Uh, it was actually the second night in a row where no hitter was lost in the ninth. There was uh, um, uh, Miles Michaelis of the Cardinals uh, came within one out uh, the, the night before. So you know I've been writing all year long about uh, the the spate of uh, near no hitters and and all that, and uh, to see two. Uh, that were lost in the ninth in, in consecutive days was really something. I guess if you're a Dodgers fan, the good news uh, about what happened with Anderson is uh, it takes some of the heat off of uh, Walker Bueller's situation and uh, and his injury. And that's a huge blow for Dodger fans because we know just how good he is. And now that uh, he's had uh, a bone spur removed, um, it's interesting that Bueller even uh, commented that he's got a very tricky rehab ahead if he's going to have an opportunity to try to rejoin the Dodgers later in the season. Yeah, there, he's not going to pick up a baseball for six to eight weeks to do any any kind of throwing program, and so you know you add a minimum of about four weeks to that uh, for um, you know for the buildup to, to uh, a starter length workload, and you're at ten to twelve weeks, which puts him you know coming back in, in September more or less, and, and really there's not a lot of room for any kind of setbacks and. and uh, you know, still allow him to get a regular season uh, opportunity or two before the playoffs. So you're just you're going with uh, um, you know kind of kind of blind in that in that situation. I don't think there's any way that the Dodgers you know can win another championship if if Walker Bueller isn't involved. I mean, he has been the man in the playoffs. So he was brilliant in 2020 after a so-so regular season. You know, he kind of ran out of gas last year, but part of that was they tried him on three days rest twice, and, and that was uh, uh, a bridge too far. And, and you know, it's very possible, that, uh, uh, if not probable, that those extra innings in, in the postseason uh, have contributed to um, uh, to his struggles. You know, he threw he, – he was second in all of baseball last year uh, in innings with something like 207. So it all adds up. He's, uh, he's not indestructible, unfortunately. Jay Jaffe with us here on Sports Talk. By the way, the Dodgers, uh, as uh, they begin action today, tied with the Padres for first place. Padres have 40 wins. The Dodgers have 39, but the Dodgers are ahead of them uh, with just 23 losses compared to 24. And then the Giants are not that far back, four games back of those two teams. Padres, by the way, this week got some bad news when they found out that uh, Tatis uh, and his wrist has not healed as quickly as the team would have hoped. So instead of uh, potentially beginning a rehab this this month that's going to be a setback and good news for Padres fans they've been able to win 40 games so far this season without Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah they've they've done a good job of picking up the slack for for Tatis and you know Manny Machado's uh, MVP caliber season is, is is one big reason there uh, obviously you got a lot more going on besides that such as Eric Hosmer's hot start although he's he's cooled off uh, but uh yeah, this is this is an impressive Padres team, even without Tatis. And um, you know, I think I, I, I think this is this is what we expected the Padres to do last year, um, but they were unfortunately beset by injuries. But uh, the rotation's in much better shape this year. Yu uh, Darvish and Joe Musgrove have been very good, and uh, it's going to make for an interesting race, I think. 
Let's stay in the National League for a minute. You wrote a couple of days ago about the Braves and uh, Ronald Acuna's return um, and, and just how good they've been as of late. 14 in a row. Uh, that is a, an, a ridiculously uh, great hot streak, and they've resurrected their season, Jay. They were under 500 before this win streak began. Now they're just four back of the Mets. The Mets had a 10-game-plus lead not that long ago, and suddenly uh, it's a race again. Yeah, I mean, it's helped that the Mets have, uh, it's helped the Braves cause that the Mets have been without both Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom and and even Tyler McGill uh, for, you know, for a good part of this time when they've surged. Excuse me. Um, But uh, uh, one of the big problems for the Braves early in the season was the lack of production from their outfield. It was the majors' worst uh, through the end of May. Uh, But Acuna, who came back in late April from that torn ACL uh, and, and DH for part of May, uh, has gotten increasingly hot, and uh, they've had a couple other things that, that have gone right for them as well. They moved Adam Duvall out of center field. He was really struggling, uh, and while he's an excellent fielder, won a gold glove last year, uh, the team felt that uh, the extra running in center was was, uh, uh, was was dragging down his offense as well. So they called up a prospect named Michael Harris the second, uh, and he has done a nice job for them. Uh, while moving Duvall over to center field, I mean, uh, to left field, and, and, and Marcel Ozuna, who's really struggled, uh, to DH. That's improved the defense, which has helped the starting pitching, um, helped, the, helped the bullpen as well, and uh, it's given the team a real lift. It really has. Um, another name who's also been uh, a part of this, and he's not playing every day, but he's been really good, and, and you touched on him in your story, is William Contreras. Now, if you recognize the last name, his brother is one of the best catchers in the game with the Cubs, um, and yet here is a 24-year-old that kind of started as a catcher, but it seems like he's hitting so well that the Braves are just trying to put him anywhere they can to help that lineup. Yeah, he's played a bit in the outfield, and he's played a bit at DH. And, boy, you're swinging a bat that hot. They're going to find room for you. And, and uh, uh, he has certainly helped them out, and uh, I would expect we'll see more of him here, even though his, his catching ability is not uh, uh, is, is, is not uh, his, his top asset, just like his brother, who's uh, uh, not exactly known for his defense. These guys can, can both hit. Do you think the Braves will be able to keep this thing going in the foreseeable future without Ozzie Albies, who's now going to miss a significant amount of time? You know, Albies had been sort of lagging even before, you know, on both sides of their uh, of their uh, or you know both sides of their season here. He struggled in April and May. Uh, he had not gotten hot in June. You know, he was still a very solid player. wasn't that far below uh, his usual level of production. Um, but you know, it's a challenge because you lose the upside, um, you know, of what he could do if he, you know, if he were to return to his level. Um, and it's clear he's not going to be back uh, before the trade deadline. They, they put him on the 60-day injured list, um, so he won't be back before the trade deadline. Uh, and it figures that the, that the Braves will go out and try to get uh, some kind of stopgap because the guy, the two guys that they've got. Uh, that are likely to fill in for him in Orlando Arcia and Phil Gosselin are, are guys that, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're replacement level hitters. Uh, they can field the position, but they're, they're not going to be uh, big contributors to the lineup. And they probably need something, you know, a little bit better than that uh, to keep going. More with Jay as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, bottom of the hour, let's get right back to Adrian, who's standing by with this Sports Center update. 
All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Jay Jaffe joins us uh, from Fangraphs.com. He's on location, the annual Jaffe family retreat to Cape Cod. And uh, we will not have Jay next week uh, due to the uh, family vacation, but we're able to get him on today. And we appreciate the time, as always, uh, what Jay Jaffe gives us here on the show. You wrote about the Detroit Tigers earlier today and, um, and their miserable offense. It's incredible, Jay, that this team, as bad as they are, right now offensively is not even the worst team in their own division that would go to Kansas City who actually uh, is uh, starting the day with just 21 wins and 41 losses yet the the Tigers are not that far behind out there in the central yeah you know the big the big thing about the Tigers not just that they're lousy but they spent they raised their payroll by almost 50 million this year um you know after winning 77 games last year and they signed they were one of four teams to sign Two free agents to deals of at least seventy-five million. They gave uh, one hundred forty million to Javi Baez and uh, seventy-seven million to Eduardo Rodriguez. Baez has been below replacement level. One of the uh, uh, many players who struggled on the offensive side. Uh, Rodriguez just left the team uh, and is on the restricted list for what's uh, been reported as uh, a marital issue. So he's got you know personal issues that are, that may have been uh, dragging down his performance as well. But the real story is is the lack of offense. They're averaging just 2.71 runs per game, which is the lowest scoring rate of the uh, of, of of the post integration era going back to 1947, and they're uh, project. Uh, Production as measured by weighted run screen plus WRC plus our uh, OPS plus like metric uh, would match the 1963 Mets for the worst in that span. Um, they're just they're just dreadful. They've only got two guys who are hitting at a better than average clip, and one of them is pretty much right at average. That's Austin Meadows, who's been slumping after about a vertigo. So um, it, it just nothing is going right for them, and and uh, their number one prospect Spencer Torkelson has really struggled. Uh, they should probably send him to Triple A to to uh, uh, to straighten out, and it's just it, they're tough to watch. They got blown out thirteen to nothing yesterday, and Cody Clemens, uh, Roger Clemens' son, who's a, a utility man, uh, even got his first turn on the mound. Wow! Stay uh, right now uh, in uh, the American League and, and talk about what the Astros did uh, yesterday. Uh, two immaculate innings in one game. It's never happened before in recorded uh, big league history, but that's what went down with uh, both Luis Garcia and uh, Phil Maton, who, by the way, Maton, a former Chihuahua, so whenever I can talk about an El Paso tie, I will. This is a uh, rarity, uh, Jay, and it's something that, uh, you know, if you get one immaculate inning, which would be, Three strikeouts on nine consecutive strikes, that's a big deal. But when you see it happen twice with the same team in the same game, uh, that's history we're talking about here. Yeah, it's lightning striking twice. Um, I, you know, I didn't see it in, in real time, obviously. Uh, but it's very impressive, and I believe it was against the same three hitters as well. So um, the odds of that are just astronomical. That's, I've only seen a handful of immaculate innings in all my time watching baseball. It's probably something that – you know, we pay more attention to now, and, and you know, with the high strikeout rates and the pitch counts, you know, wasn't any, you know, we only we only have a um, full pitch by pitch data going back to uh, 1988 and uh, uh, pitch tracking data going back to 2008. But uh, uh, this is just remarkable, and uh, um, you know, for it to happen twice in one game, even more so. Speaking of remarkable. The Yankees are 46-16 and 16 right now. The team with the second-best overall record is the Mets, 41-23. Uh, but 
The Yankees are 30 games over 500 after just 62 games. How big is this uh, feat so far, Jay? Yeah, it, it, it's impressive. I mean, they, they're they're chasing their own 1998 team for you know as one of the best in recent memory. Um, they're firing on all cylinders, more or less. They've gotten uh, uh, outstanding starting pitching. Uh, they've gotten very good relief pitching, uh, even with a Roldis Chapman landing on the on the uh, injured list. <clears throat> um, their offense is booming. Aaron Judge is having an MVP caliber season. Already has 25 home runs. Um, Certainly has a shot at uh, um, surpassing Roger Maris's team record of 61, um, you know, and, and uh, getting a lot of uh, offensive contributions all over the place. Uh, one of the interesting ones is, is Matt Carpenter, uh, the ex-Cardinal, who uh, really had, had looked like his career was just about over, but he reworked his swing over the winter. Uh, the Rangers signed him, and while he was tearing it up at AAA, they couldn't find room for him. Uh, so he asked for his release and, and signed with the Yankees. And so far, he's got six home runs uh, in 11 games. Uh, he's only had uh, two non-home run uh, base hits. But um, if you looked at his spray chart, it was tailor-made for Yankee Stadium uh, and that short right field porch. We actually saw him when we went a couple weeks ago. Uh, we saw him hit one that night. Um, this was Aaron Judge bobblehead night. Uh, my daughter's favorite player is Aaron Judge. Uh, we got the bobblehead, and we got to see Judge hit a home run, which was a real thrill for my daughter. Um, but, uh, yeah, Car- you know, they're just – everything is coming up roses for the Yankees. Uh, the Jose Trevino acquisition, also from the uh, Rangers, has turned out to be a big boon. He's an excellent uh, pitch framer and pitch caller, and that's been part of their success. Uh, this is a powerhouse team, and right now – uh, I think they're, they have to be considered the favorites to win the World Series. Before we get to your beer pick of the week, a couple of observations, uh, Jay. Number one, uh, there are a ton of um, of craft breweries uh, in, in New York City and, and in the surrounding areas. I, I experienced that firsthand over the last week, and it seemed like everywhere I went, there was uh, a different type of beer that was being offered. So it's great to see how much the craft beer business has exploded uh, around the New York area. Uh, as far as the stadiums go, did Yankee Stadium and City Field I thought the craft beer selection at City Field was better than Yankee Stadium. Unfortunately, the state—they're just such a different type of feel in both ballparks. Um, yet, from a beer standpoint, really liked. Uh, it feels like City Field has different beers all over the place. That being said, what would you like to uh, profile for our listeners this week? Well, just just to editorialize here for a minute. I mean, the the fan experience at the two ballparks is night and day. I mean, I think. City Field, the concessions are much better. Uh, the beer is much better. Um, you know, it's a it's a more interesting ballpark in in, in general, and and I think um, it's a, it's a lot more fun. Now, I happen yeah. to be a, a partial season ticket holder to the Yankees, so uh, I complain about it all the time. But their craft beer beer selection is abysmal. Their concessions are pretty bad. Uh, it's a you know, if you were to divide. Uh, the league in the three tiers, uh, concession-wise, they would definitely be in the lower third. It's a, it's a big disappointment. Um, anyway, as for beers, uh, beer of the week, uh, this is one that uh, I believe we had when we were at threes. This is their Super Fleet uh, Pilsner. Uh, it is a limited edition version of their flagship Pilsner. Uh, it is dry hopped and can conditioned, uh, which makes it uh, uh, a little bit more potent, a little bit more floral. Uh, a little bit more resiny. Uh, it's a wonderful variation on what's already a, a, a great beer. 
Uh, I picked up a, a four pack of that along with a few other their, of their uh, uh, pilsners and lagers and uh, brought some up to the Cape here and have really enjoyed it. By the way, let me let me just also um, elaborate on this. So we were at threes, um, folks. Jay Jaffe is a celebrity. There is no other way to put <laughs> oh, it. The manager from Threes came over, and and then when he when he saw it was Jay, brought us a sampling on the house of different beers, and then somebody else was there. He came by to say hi to Jay, told him how much he enjoyed his work and everything. So uh, it was nice to see you getting that kind of treatment in Brooklyn when we went over to Threes Brewing uh, last week. Yeah, I mean, I've been a big supporter of theirs. They had some drama earlier this year with regards to uh, uh, their CEO having to step down after uh, uh, ranting about mask mandates and stuff like that and losing the confidence of the staff. But, uh, um, you know, this is a brewery that that included me in its corporate delivery program uh, as as a corporation of one uh, before uh, the pandemic. And they actually used their delivery system as a model to stay afloat during uh, the worst of the pandemic, and uh, now they're 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 on better footing, and it's been great to see. So uh, uh, I'm I'm very happy with my my link with that brewery. We are too. Um, and again, I agree with you completely on City Field versus Yankee Stadium. Uh, there's no doubt about that as far as being fan friendly and the concessions they offer. Uh, a lot of fun seeing you, spending time with you. Great meeting, Robin. Enjoy the time off, and uh, we'll check back in with you again here in a couple of weeks. Okay, sounds great, Steve. Take care. Jay Jaffe, folks, as we continue on Sports Talk. Take a time out. Come back with more right here. 600 TSPN El Paso. They played this song. This is one of the songs on the set. Not my favorite Billy Joel song. I go, I'm go. i more 70s Billy Joel. Like, if you ask me what I like, uh, The Stranger, 52nd Street, Piano Man, Turnstiles, those are some of my favorite albums. The classics. Yeah, I mean... 80s was okay. I thought Glass Houses was all right still, but you know he doesn't have a ton of albums, not a ton of studio stuff. And really, you know, the height of his popularity was probably 70s, 80s. But um, yeah, this that that song did make the, uh, the the set list. Nice. Okay, it's in our Kiss FM library. I asked my son after, "What song you like the best?" And he got, and he said, uh, "We didn't start the fire." That was his. That was his. That was his favorite song. He was amped up with that one. He was. He was singing it. He was singing it, even though nice. it was about eleven o'clock at night. So that was uh, that was good. All right, at ten in front of five. As we continue here on Sports Talk, Barry Corbin will join us in ten minutes. Um, the chairman of the West Star Bank Don Haskins Sumble Invitation to talk about the return of New Mexico State to the tournament for the first time since the early sixties. What was the last year that NMSU was in the tournament? Sixty-two. I think so, Steve. You have to look really far back uh, with, with uh, when uh, New Mexico State actually did this tournament. Now, I do know this, and it, I don't know this from the the Sun Bowl side of things, but I know this from the Rodney Terry side of things. He had talked, I think it was the pandemic-shortened season, Steve, that they were looking to try to get uh, NMSU on their schedule as part of the West Star Bank Don Haskins Sun Bowl Invitational that year, and those plans fell through. They weren't able to actually get them for the Invitational uh, in that season. Okay. All right. Well, listen. Um... I'm happy they're here this time around. It's going to be fun to see them in uh, the tournament. And I'm really hoping in a big way that they beat Kent State and UTEP beat A&T so we can get a UTEP New Mexico State championship game in the uh, tournament this year. That would be fun. 
Oh, yeah, it would, it would be a beyond fun. I, I feel like with that one, to play for, like, a championship trophy and it's a rivalry type of game like this, uh, yeah, that, that would add so much to that game. And Kent State's no slouch. They were 23-11 and 11 last year. Uh, they were ranked to 151 by Ken Palm, so it's kind of right around uh, UTEP. So, yeah, it's a tough team for, uh, for them to beat. We'll talk more about that with Barry in 10 minutes when he joins us to begin hour number two of the show. A lot of talk about the World Cup. A lot of talk about the World Cup, especially Dallas. People loving the fact that Jerry Jones landed AT&T Stadium. And by the way, it was really funny. They said, is it going to be tough putting natural grass? And Jerry's like, no, that won't be difficult. When, I mean, does anything ever face Jerry Jones, honestly? When you ask him about you know doing something that's out of the ordinary, Jerry never seems to bat an eye when it comes to uh, AT&T Stadium. Because all, all he sees is dollar signs right yep. there, and he wants to capitalize on this. I, you know, a lot of people all over social media right now are upset at the the, the cities that were left out of the mix. But, Steve, I, I mean, I'm looking at it, and I, I'm thinking, wow, you know, the U.S. getting 11 spots. I, I know that you might Huge. you might get a little upset at certain cities that got selected, but that's that's it pretty impressive as far as the distribution goes. Yeah, plus, I mean, you've also got Guadalajara, uh, uh, Monterrey, Mexico City, City uh, for Mexico, that's huge, and then Toronto and Vancouver for Canada. So you think about the places that will hold it. First off, how about this? How about Dallas and Houston, two Texas cities getting uh, World Cup play, plus MetLife in New York, New Jersey, Uh, SoFi in L.A., brand new. Uh, Levi Stadium, which surprises me a little bit because to me Levi has been a it's been a disappointment. Think about it. Um, it you know is not they've had turf issues for football games. Their bowl game tanked. I mean you know it's not exactly what everybody envisioned when they built that stadium. Yeah, I know that it wasn't on this list as as possible sites, but I thought they would go to Vegas. I thought we'd see yeah. something at Allegiant or something like that. And Makes uh, sense. you know if we're going West Coast, why didn't you go there? They weren't even on the list. I mean, I wasn't even the team. The cities that lost out, besides Baltimore, DC. That's huge, by the way. Nation's was, capital. But oh, it's terrible. People are already furious with Daniel Snyder. Furious with Daniel. They're blaming him. I would blame him too. He probably didn't push enough. Orlando, Cincinnati, Nashville, Denver, and Edmonton also lost out. So uh, the cities that will have it, besides what we've mentioned so far, you've got Miami, Hard Rock Stadium. Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Seattle with Lumen Field. We talked about Houston. Philly will be there with Link, Lincoln Financial Field, Kansas City in Arrowhead Stadium. That is surprising. And then Boston with Gillette Stadium. So there's certain no-brainers to me, like Dallas, New York, Boston. uh, Those make a lot of sense. I could see Philly and Seattle, too. But I was surprised about Houston. I just didn't think Texas would get two cities in. That's a big deal. It really is, and and you miss out on a city like Chicago, Steve. I, I mean, I you forgot to I, I forgot to even mention Chicago yep. as a possible city, but no Denver, no Chicago, no Las Vegas. Those are major cities here. How about SoFi being chosen over the Rose Bowl? Yeah, that's interesting, right there. I get it because uh, that's the futuristic type of stadium. But don't you want a little bit of tradition in the World Cup? Apparently in 2026? not. Yeah, I guess not. If you think about it, and you think about all these stadiums, right? Um. The oldest stadium, at least as far as the U.S. goes, it has to be Arrowhead. 
I mean, I can't think of anything older than Arrowhead in the list. Can you? No, I think that's exactly right. And at that point, it, once 2026 rolls around, none of these uh, stadiums will be kind of new. Like right. Even SoFi will have some years on it. We'll talk more World Cup with you later in the show. But up next, as promised, Barry Coburn in our Lube and Go studios. Excited about that conversation as Sports Talk continues. I think Paul McCartney's playing um, tonight in New York, if I'm not mistaken, MetLife Stadium. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a big deal tonight. Anytime uh, an 80-year-old is in concert, that's usually a, a pretty good sign. Pretty good sign. Right, Adrian? Yeah, Steve, definitely. And I think our friend Barry can't hear very well on his side. You're exactly right. Not too bad for Barry if he can't hear. Find out. Can you hear? Yeah? I hear him, but I don't hear you. You don't hear me? That's that's good. I like that. How do we design that? Okay. okay. How do we figure out a way so he doesn't hear me? How how do we pull that off, Adrian? That's no clue. phenomenal. No clue. If we can, if we can do that. Okay, uh, we're good. Now you hear me all right? Good enough. Better hang on. Let me, let me crank up your I'm gonna, I'm gonna make your ears cry. Is this better for you? Do you hear it now? Do you hear me okay? All right, he does. Yeah. Barry Coburn is here from the West Star Bank Don Haskins Sumball Invitation, the chairman of the board. He's like uh, Sinatra to the uh, to the West Star Bank Don Haskins Sumball Invitation. That's perfect. Uh, news came out today for the field. Uh, we have something that's a little different. I call it history in the making. New Mexico State is in the field uh, as a, this is to me, a parting gift to Aggie fans because they're going to be in the same conference starting next year. So final year in the WAC, why not compete against uh, UTEP in this tournament? And it's been brought up before. It's never happened. But uh, I'm excited about that. Barry, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks, Steve. I'm great. I've been bugged for many years about Mexico State, mainly by you, I think. But uh, Probably right. Every year you, we talk about it, I think. But uh, this is exciting. Uh, you know, I had to look it up. But the very first Sun Bowl basketball tournament was in 1961. Okay. You know who the four teams were? UTEP, New Mexico State. New Mexico and Baylor. That makes sense. They're, those were the four teams. UTEP played Baylor in the first game. New Mexico played New Mexico State. Uh, and that was the last time New Mexico State played in our tournament, 61 years ago. Unbelievable. All-tournament team was Willie Brown, mm-hmm. uh, Nolan Richardson. Love it. Gary Ward, former baseball coach at both New Mexico State and Oklahoma State. Yep. His son, uh, that's the dad of Rocky Ward. That's right. He was on the all-tournament team. Okay. Uh, it was just a great tournament. New Mexico and Mexico State played in the first round, went double overtime, and New Mexico beat them. And then UTEP beat New Mexico. And the UTEP blew out both Baylor and New Mexico to win that tournament 61 years ago. Don Haskins' first year. Don, I believe it was Don. The story is Nolan helped him move into the dorm, I think, uh, when they I, got here, I, I believe. I think that is true. On I that do. first team. Very nice. Uh, but no, that's – and we, you and I have talked about it. And many, many other people have talked about it, and I've always said this is going to be a very difficult thing to do, get New Mexico State in the tournament. Well, let's talk about how it happened. And first of all, if you can move that microphone a little closer to you, that would be great. And that way – no, I'm, I, I – now I can hear you. Now okay. I just, I just uh, wanted to make sure that we can hear you a little bit better now, so I don't okay. have to crank up the volume. Now, okay. do you tell me you've 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 been in, you've been at this how many years when it comes to actually bringing teams into the tournament? How many years for you? Well, I started with the tournament hosting in '89, I think 1989. So this would be 33 years. But how many years since Probably you've been this 27 world? years, 26, okay. 27 years? Of bringing teams in. So in the 26 or 27 years of bringing teams in, you you tell me, is was this uh, you know decision? And first off, 
I'm so interested. Adrian, do we know how this will be received by the UTEP fan base? You know, we've seen certain, uh, I guess, mixed reactions so far, Steve, from this, but which is real interesting because I thought, like initially when I saw the news, I thought it would be a resounding yes. Like I thought fans would love this. Me too. I still think they're going to love it because they will have more rooting interest in this tournament than ever before. Not to mention the fact that it doesn't impact the regular series, which I love. You're still getting the home and home. This is an added bonus because now you have the potential of a of a third game between these two teams. And hopefully hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of Panamaniacs coming down in in our home court uh Seeing their Aggies, yeah, that's right. Playing for the Don Haskins Sun Bowl Invitational. Do, do you, the minor fans want the Aggies to leave with the trophy with Don Haskins' name on it? How wild would that be? <laughs> and and you know Mario Mocha, director of athletics in New Mexico State, is thinking right now to Greg Heyer, Hey, listen, you this is you need to add this trophy to your collection because you're only going to get one shot at it. This right. is it. So if you want it. This you you you'll never have another opportunity after uh, after this year. And Mario was very involved in this. Uh, it really, you know, we've we've always said this is very difficult. Not, I don't. We'll talk real quickly. The issue with bringing New Mexico State in all the years was UTEP and New Mexico State couldn't play each other because they played in the regular season, yeah. and we would have absolutely zero chance to bring two teams to come in here to play, basically two road games against New Mexico State and UTEP. And That's we right. couldn't do it. It wouldn't happen. So the only way this was going to work is they agreed to we play a straight tournament. And neither team's going to give up their home game. They're both going to have their, their home games. There was no chance that either team would give up a home game to do this because this, this is the Sun Bowls tournament. So to do this, it had to be a straight tournament. They didn't have to play each other in the first round, but if they play both win or, or both lose, they're going to play each other that second night. Good. No matter what, that had to be part of our deal with them. Mario said that was fine. We had to run this through. Chris Jans was still here at the time. We ran it through him. Chris was fine with it. Coach Golding was unbelievable. He just said, "Bring anybody." I mean, he. I was, don't think Joe cares. Joe when it comes ca- to it, I think he's just he just wants whatever's best for everybody. Absolutely, he was. He you know he, he was perfect. I mean, we couldn't ask for greater better partner on this joe's really excited about it and we're glad that we were able to pull it off but then chris jans decided to leave and we had a new coach come in but it was all done at that point i left it up to mario and said you tell him they probably he probably came in looked at the schedule and said we're doing what but uh they will be here uh they're gonna play two games uh and uh they may not play each other that second night. We've That's got, a good point. We've we, got two other really good teams coming in as well. So We never know when it comes down to these matchups if they're going to happen the way we think because they're on the opposite ends of the bracket, which means things have to fall into place for this to happen. And I don't know. You tell me. North Carolina A&T last season finished 12-20 and 20, mm-hmm. uh, in the Big South. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the UTEP opponent. So they'll get what we probably would consider the easier of the opponents since Kent State will be uh, New Mexico State's challenge in the first round. And Kent State last year went 23-11 and 11 and finished a game back at Toledo in the Mid-American Conference. It's even better than that because Kent State won – their last 14 games in a row to get there. They won 14 straight conference games to get to the conference tournament final before they lost to Akron in the final. So they got things figured out when they were 
10 and 11 or somewhere in there and won 14 straight. Yep. They had a kid, uh, Sincere Carey, uh, that transferred in, I think, from Duquesne that was the player of the year in the MAC. Turned pro, pulled himself out of the NBA draft. He's planning on coming back this year. He averaged 17 a game. Going to be – Kent State's going to be very good. They may be the best team coming in given what other teams lost uh, in the field. But Kent State has the most veterans coming back of this field. They have the coach of the year from the MAC in Rob Senderoff, who will making his third trip here. Mexico State's going to have their work cut out for them in that first game. And UTEP's going to have to play good basketball to beat A&T. Yeah. This is, that's a, you know, we have a great tradition in the tournament of bringing in HBCUs to the field, the historically black colleges. Yes. Uh, I think this will be our 18th in 23 years we're doing it. It's something I think that Coach Haskins would have really liked to see us do uh, to help those schools out and bring them in here. And they all love coming, too. We have a line of, of, of schools to come in. Uh, North Carolina a t is the largest of the HBCUs, very big school. Coach uh, President Biden just went there to speak. They're in Greensboro, North Carolina, very good, big school. They're no longer in the MEAC. Last time they were here, they were in the MEAC. They spent a year last year in the Big South. This year, they're actually going to be in the Colonial Athletic. Oh, cool. So they keep is, jumping. Yeah. yeah. They keep moving up. And uh, Colonial, a lot of people know the schools in that conference. It's a That's a real basketball conference they're moving into. Uh, and they're very good school, very big school. Will Jones is the coach there. He was here as an assistant the last time they were here. He took over in the middle of the year and uh, took them to a conference title in, in 2021. Uh, so A&T is going to give UTEP a real battle, too. Meanwhile, um, when you talk about the three teams other than UTEP, was New Mexico State the first in of those three? Were they the last in? How did the process work? Because you always tell me the toughest team to get is uh, a lot of times the uh, you know the HBC. That that's the, that's usually the, the toughest one, and that's usually where I start, and which was the case here. I, you know, A and T was the first team in. Okay, so I realized I had the North Carolina State Aggies, North Carolina A and T Aggies. And I'll get the New Mexico State Aggies. I got to get another Aggie. So I called every other Aggies. Utah State turned me down. Cal Davis turned me down. Didn't call AM, but uh, tried to make it the Aggie Invitational. So Kent State will be going by the Aggies when they come in here. And they'll, we'll put Aggies on their jersey and we'll have an all Aggie Invitational. I like that. In. They'll be the Flash Aggies. The, fla- the, golden, the golden Flash Aggies. Yes, there you exactly. Go. No, but AT was the first team we got in. And then New Mexico State, we started talking with Mario and, and with Coach Jans and, and getting that done. But then all the hard work came in because then, then I had New Mexico State, even though no one was guaranteed of playing UTEP and New Mexico State because it was a straight tournament, I still had a tough time. I had a team finish ranked in the top 25 last year, NCAA okay. tournament team, that said we would come if it were anyone but New Mexico State. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. That was quote unquote what I heard from a top 25 team. It was done. Wow. So – and Coach Jans was still there at the time. They had all those players and whatnot. And it was still a very difficult proposition to get teams because they knew that it wasn't a truly neutral site game they were coming to play. Yeah, because they, you're right. The Aggies can bring fans from uh, bring, from Cruces, and that's exactly. just a hop, skip, and a jump from El Paso. Exactly. Sure. But, but I pointed out to him that 
every home fan, the every El Paso fan, would be rooting for them. Because that's they're not going to be rooting for the Aggies. Didn't work. It didn't work, though. But he said that's a good point. But uh, Could we see that top 25 team next year? Uh, it's possible. They, we have a good relationship with them. And they're probably going to be better this year than last year. They oh. would they would easily have been the favorite in this year's field. Uh, but uh, It's so amazing, though, to me that, you, that they wouldn't come because they saw what the Aggies did last year and figured – now – uh, again, you couldn't wait around to see what was going to happen after the after the you tournament. Know. You had to get this done pretty quick. Let's remember, Mexico State was basically a top thirty-two team last year. They went yeah. to the NCAA tournament. They beat UConn, who was a five seed. Almost beat Arkansas in the second game, who wound up going to the Elite Eight for the second time in two years. I think Mexico State scared a lot of teams off. Let me put it that way, and didn't make my job any easier. Luckily, we have a, a team like Kent State. Uh, who who loves us? My motto with this tournament is: if you if I can get you here once, you will be back. Well, and they've historically done very very well in this tournament. They have a first, a second, and a third. I looked at yeah. uh, this will be their fourth trip here, but they won in '99, finished second in 2014, and finished third in 2019. Yeah, uh, Coach Senderoff, like I said, he was coach of the year. He loves us, and I, I didn't even call him; he called me said we're ready to come back so that's you know, awesome you know the when we can build those relationships because of my host committee guys you know Amy and you've been Vic Salazar and Dave Lynn Huber and all my hosts that's why they come back because of the, the way we treat them and that's the way it was with Ken and A&T too A&T called me uh, I didn't call them they called me and said where well, we want to come back and they were here just here in 2019 so love it so right. if we treat them right they'll come back and we do more with uh, Barry Coburn as we continue. If you want to get in, 505-6009. That is our telephone number. If you want to talk to Barry, 505-6009. Sports Talk continues. Here's Charlie One with traffic. We continue here on Sports Talk with Barry Coburn, chairman of the West Star Bank Don Haskins Sunbowl Invitation. West Star Don Haskins Sunbowl Invitational. Oh, so West, what we I dropped West the bank. bank. Yeah, West Star. Made it easier for people. Is it still West Star Bank or just West Star? West Star. So they don't even refer to themselves as West yes. Star Bank? Yes. Well, they have West Star Bank, but West Star refers to all of their different uh, financial products that they— Not just banks, everything. Not just bank. Yeah, Got their it. Their title—, title uh, Let me mortgage. tell you something. I am so programmed into saying West Star Bank I for know. the last however many years it's been. It's hard to just suddenly change to West Star. It is, but— we And I'm glad we talk about West Star because we couldn't do this without him. Dave Osborne and the fine folks over there are, give us a lot of money to do this, and we couldn't do it without him and their support. And, you know, so if I want to think if I want to put the abbreviations together, what is it? The W, um, West, it's the WDHSBI? Yes. The WSB. Um, we need an acronym. We, we should put the vowel in the middle huh, or something yeah. like that. WDHSBI. That's tough. Adrian, that's a hard one. Yeah, I, I, to, to I couldn't with. do that one. Go oh, with no. our parade. Bernie was just talking about that. Can you do that? No, I can't. Glasheen, Vias, Enderman, Sunbowl, Parade. Yeah, that's a long one, too. Yeah. That's a lot. You guys have a lot of uh, That'd be good. You should just put, you should just put T-shirts together that just say WDHSBI and just put it like that, and that'll be it. Tony the Tiger. We'll just go Tony the Tiger. That would be cool. Yeah, you know what you all you, you know what you really you should do you should sell shirts with the trophy on the front. That would be smoking, man. With the trophy, like that. There's the make trophy. make t-shirts like that, and then people can start this showing radio, up with the trophy. Steve, they don't know what that is. The trophy, the the Sun Bowl trophy, <laughs> the basketball trophy, the trophy of Haven't trophies. Have you been doing radio for a long time? Never. I just started in this business. <laughs> just started. What are tickets on sale for this event? 
Tickets usually go on sale around, well. Why aren't they on sale actually today? Actually, they are, because you can buy season tickets today, and you should call and buy season tickets to the UTEP Miners, because they were won 20 games last year, and they're great, and that would get you tickets to our tournament, and you can pick your seats before those Aggies grab those good seats. Yes. Don't let those Las Cruces people come out here and, and make them sit in the upper rafters, and you know if they're going to root for their team, we're going to stick them. Stick them in up. the bleeds. Stick them in the bleeds, and. We're hoping to actually get their band here, get their cheerleaders here. We want to do some, make this exciting, you know, battle of the bands maybe, yes. and make this. Since it was, we're neutral, we can do that. I mean, they wouldn't do that for a UTEP home game, but if we could get, you know, a bunch of fan groups to come in here and yeah, that's right. Are you uh, jacking up ticket prices because NMSU's coming? Are you going to keep it the same? Same price, same price. That's good to In fact, hear. I already, I already renewed my UTEP season tickets, and it was right there, the same price. I've that's got, nice. I've got my my two uh, Don has. West Star Don Haskins Sun Bowl Invitational tickets already. So buy season tickets. Help UTEP. Help us. If not, I think uh, they got a ninety-one dollars season ticket, don't they? Isn't that or is that for football? I think I saw that. I think they, I did. Is that see football that. or basketball? I'm already confused. I'm already confused on that one. The I think 95? it is. Ba- no, I think it is basketball. Ninety-one dollar fifty cents. I think that was nine one five campaign, right? They do. And if you uh, buy that uh, code over at uh, Jack in the Box, and other, what, uh, there's a couple of places they have it, you can still take advantage of that deal. That's a deal that's not, that's not going away. It's sticking around for a while. No, but so like, there you, you have, go. Yeah, tickets are available now, and then uh, we will have for our tournament, they usually go on sale around December 1st. Okay, so get them now so you don't have to wait till December. Exactly. That's the point. Exactly, because it's going to sell out, and we don't want it to fill up with Aggie fans. So. I mean, I have a feeling it will sell very well, because I mean, average attendance is probably in the six, 7,000 range, and now you've got a legitimate shot to put 10-plus in the seats for the uh, for those two days. If it I turns so. out that the, the two uh, I-10 rivals are playing the second night, yeah, I think uh, I expect to see a lot of people at that game yeah, playing for that not, trophy. I, I think Aggie fans are going to go the first night because Kent, Kent State and New Mexico State is a really good basketball game. Yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a chance for them to see their team, uh, and it's only a 25-minute drive here to see their team so, in, this, in a nice arena. Does this mean that New Mexico State will be staying in the El Paso hotels, yes. getting the treatment yes. like they would if they were an out-of-town team? Absolutely. We, they will be making a road trip to El Paso. Yep. They get the whole three nights. Yeah, they, uh, they get the mariachis, and they also they get, get the uh, Sun Court dancers. They'll get a host committee. They'll get the hospitality room. Oh, they look at that. They'll get the whole – it's going to be you know, a road trip for them. Uh, and so, yeah, that was part of the deal. I mean, what day is this tournament? Wednesday and Thursday. Okay, that's uh, good. And then they'll be playing. Maybe Aggie fans could just take those days off work and and, and just come to El Paso it's, and make it like a staycation and just uh, enjoy just a little downtime. Start your Christmas early, the twenty first and twenty second, and you know, come down here, stick around, and then the football games on the thirtieth. Just make it a long time down here. It's perfect. I know we get a lot of fans from Las Cruces for the football game as well. So hopefully we can get them to package it and come down for the basketball tournament and the football game. Uh, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of fans up there in Las Cruces. Mario's Mar- Mario's got Mario's a been emailing me today, and he's already wants all the materials on tickets, and he's already he's ahead oh, yeah. of the game. They're already packaging it and selling it. Are you really so, honestly? Tickets. Are you surprised about Mocha? No, I mean, I'm not either. I mean, he's I mean, 
Listen, he's the P.T. Barnum of uh, college <laughs> athletics. Is for days. sure. Yeah. He is. He, yeah. he really is. No, so he, he will find a way to rally up the troops and, and make it happen. I mean, you better believe it. He sold out a game in Las Cruces last year, I think, the Grand Canyon game, and just filled it up. They weren't. They, he got in trouble, I think, for selling out the game because he's put too many people in one arena, I think. But he, you know, he, he's not going to stop until he fills that place up and put – Twelve thousand there as yeah. well. COVID rules sense. don't scare Mario Mocha. Nothing scares Mocha <laughs> these days. It's it's not. He's you know. It's he's got a mission. That's to get as many of his fans in as possible. And That's I, right. And I think he'll want to you know bring everybody he can here. Uh, you know, hopefully well, they'll have busloads of people coming down for the. Tournament. Will this be potentially the final game of the three? Do they plan on playing the first home and home before this tournament? As far as you know, I don't know what the dates are yet. Uh, uh, I think so. I think the plan is because most teams start their conference games November, early shortly December. after ours. Yeah. So there's now not- your phone's blown up, by I the know. way. Thank you for vi- putting it in vibrate mode. It that's, is on vibrate mode. That's nice. I know. I'm thanking you for this that. This is radio. Uh, Adrian, are we? We're, we're appreciative of Barry putting yes. it on his on his silent He's, mode. He saw the sign before he came in the door. That's right. I'm getting please uh, silence. Everybody telling phones. how good Steve is on the radio. Please, you're, what so, it's, you're, you're so full of it. But that's nice. Thank you. Nothing's nothing's no, changed over the last 25 years exactly. as we've been doing this show together. So actually, that's we've known each other much longer than that. That's true. We much. have, but we don't need to. We don't need to divulge too much of our personal yeah, lives on the radio. Yeah, exactly. But I think to answer your question, this will be the rubber the rubber game of the match, as they say. I think they will both have played each other. I believe on their home and homes before the tournament mm-hmm. is my guess, because conference play will start after our tournament the next week you know probably not the week after christmas at the week the following week first that makes, week in january is when they that makes it. a lot of sense in fact i saw utep is playing 20 conference games this year so they may i'm not sure they can fit all those in before january 1 so they may even be playing a conference game prior to the first of the year yeah to get wonder, 20 games in that's hard to do I wonder how many conference games are going to play next year when the conference becomes nine teams well, eight eight Times two is 16. But is you got to play, play more than 16 games, don't you? No, they'll play 16. They're not going to play that's, anybody three times. If you, play, if you play 16 games, that's uh, that, that's a lot of non-conference games to fill your schedule. And Lots. They're, and they're losing. Each and are losing it, two. Exa- exactly <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be really tough. You got If you if you want to play an MTE, you're, you've got 31 to fill. And if they've got 16 conference games, that means they got to find 15, 15 opponents. And one of them's your MTE, so that's three of them. So you got to find 12. Yep. And you're not playing New Mexico State. We'll be two of them. Get ready. Those so di- di- those 10. directional North uh, New Mexico schools are really going to get a, uh, a good amount of games between the Aggies and the Miners. That's for sure. I wouldn't be surprised to see UTEP, though, if they get too good, it's going to be hard. They're going to go out and get some. Jim Center is going to send them out to get some big paychecks, I there think, a few to fill a few of those. Because they, they'll still have a lot of slots for home games. They're going to play. You know, yep. eight eight conference games plus they can do six, seven, eight of those ten. We're two of them. That's ten. So they'll yeah. be on the road playing a few big power power five schools probably if they're not too good. <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up with Barry Coburn next. I know Adrian's chomping at the but he's got questions for you. Okay. So we're gonna let, we're gonna let Adrian fire as many questions at you as he can. And in the meantime, before he gets to that, he has a uh, Sports Center update here as we continue. Adrian, thank you very much. Barry Coburn mm-hmm. with us as we wind things down. All right. Uh, you hear the news if you're just joining us. It'll be UTEP, New Mexico State, Kent State, and North Carolina AT and A. I was going to say AT&T. A&T in the uh, 2022 West Star Don Haskins Sun Bowl Invitation. 
Uh, or is it Sumble Tournament? Is it still the Invitational? Why is it the Invitational if it's a tournament? Shouldn't it be the tournament? Because Invitation means that, yeah, they're invited, but there's it's a round robin. Isn't it tournament the actual technical term for playing for a championship? No. I mean, we, we, we were classic for a while. Yes. We were carnival for a while. Have you ever been we to were, tournament? Yes, we've been tournament. Okay. Because if, if we did Sun Bowl Tournament, it's because there were too, name, too many words in it, and it would have had to be basketball tournament. But Invitational could encompass all of that. Trent and I went through this, yeah. and we worked it up when we did, and we said, well, let's just call it Invitational, and that will co- encompass the whole. And that's what you're doing. Because it's trying to, shorten, to it up, shorten it up a little bit. You have right. to have an invite. It's sort Fair of enough. more exclusive that way. A tournament, anybody can play in a tournament. An Invitational right. is like the Masters. The Masters there is not go. a tournament. That reminds the me. Masters I gotta, Invitational. i got to enter the Masters lottery so I can get turned down for next day. already did. That's good. I'll get, my, right. I'll get my turn down the same time you do. There you go. Uh, Adrian, throw some questions out of Barry. Real, real quick, I, I threw in my name already in the mix. But, okay. uh, Barry, I, I need to ask, or I want to ask you, when's the last time UTEP's won it? It feels like a while, and I put this stat out for a while back, but when's the last time they've actually won this tournament? Two years ago. Two tournaments ago, I think, they it, won. It feels longer than no. i guess than it actually was no they won uh they 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 won it two tournaments ago bradley won our last tournament and i think they won the one in 2019 was was the year yeah, yeah. i'm gonna pull up the uh the numbers and see how long it's been it they, like they beat cal irvine in the finals yes and that was when north carolina a&t and kent state were here 2019 they won they beat irvine in the finals but i hear what adrian's saying it does feel like it's been forever uh since this has uh, happened they, they had a pretty good cold streak there prior to that but yeah they 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 won the one before bradley won this one okay that's good uh by the way let's see here so um, we probably should get the website updated, Eddie, if you're listening to us, since the last tournament on the website, the results are from 2018. So uh, maybe we can get the last, uh, you know, three, four years updated. But I'm um, looking right now, and the last time previously UTEP had won it, 2014. Before That's 2019, how long. Yeah. yeah. They beat Kent State. Kent State was 78 it. 75 in that uh, championship every, game. So every time Kent State comes, they win. That's 14 and 19. Kent State was here. Yep. So that's a good omen for this year's event. That's true. That is true. Um, yeah, that's. And then the f- first year was what? Nine, what was it? Um, you mentioned the Kent State's first year? 98 or 99. What was it? 99, I think. That was 99. That's when they beat UTEP 90 to 80. To Kent win State it all. actually went to the Elite Eight that year. Wow. Or, or the year after. The following year, they went to the Elite Eight. I think Antonio Gates might have been on the team. It goes back a little bit, right? It, it does. Tight end, um, famous Hall of Fame tight end, Antonio Gates. So Antonio Gates played in El Paso in the tournament. Mm, I don't know if he was on that or the following year. Okay. He might have been on that following year. But. Well, um, point is, it had been a while for UTEP. So we'll, uh, you know, now we're going to get that. Any other questions yeah. you have for, for Barry? I can't think of any off the top of the head. Good. I, I did my job. I, I filled up 30 though, minutes without anything. I will say this, though, Barry. I talked to Coach Joe Golding yesterday. And yeah. he, he actually credited the Bradley loss as one of the kind of turning points for last year's team. He kind of always reflected back on that loss and said that, hey, that experience, having that experience at the Sun Bowl Invitational, that was one of the things that really helped propel them uh, in Conference USA. And it, Bradley gave the same credit to their win. I think they really helped them play very well. Tournaments are great. In-season tournaments, people don't realize how important they are when you're playing for hardware, playing for that Don Haskins trophy. You know, and that's why, you know, it makes this game different 
even though New Mexico State and UTEP may have played twice. They're playing for hardware. They're playing for an all-tournament team uh, and playing to win the Don Haskins Award and also to win the, tr- the West Star Trophy. So uh, we hope everybody comes out there. Buy those UTEP season tickets. See all what Coach Golding's doing. He's got a whole new team coming in. I think everybody should be excited to see them play. And Aggies will be coming in. Aggies fans out there, we welcome you. Buy your tickets and come see a great tournament, the 61st annual tournament. But the Aggies can't buy their turn- their tournament tickets until December 1st. I think they should buy UTEP season tickets. They might. Uh, Mocha might figure a way to do that and pull that deal together. Because not only will they get that those two games, they'll get the other game that they're playing uh, exactly. UTEP. So, so you're getting three games. Exactly. So they won't have to buy that one. So, yeah, they should definitely go ahead and buy those season tickets. And they, they, they should get used to seeing all the Conference USA teams. They should. That's see, another good point. That's see, a sales pitch. Cut, That's right. To scout their opponents, I think. For the future. I yes, like that. Yes. Uh, other than UTEP, do we have any uh, teams finalized for next year's uh, tournament? Not yet. No. Okay. I need to get on that. Thanks for reminding me. My plan, that's what I'm here for. Thank but, you very uh, much. No, we'll start working on that. I have some ideas, but uh, we'll have to start pushing that. Okay. Looking forward to it. Great to see you, and uh, thanks for dropping Great in. And uh, congratulations on the tournament this year. Should be a lot of fun. Thanks. Great. I hope to see you again soon. You will. He's Barry Coburn. He joins us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Adrian's movie review coming up next right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Appreciate Barry Coburn stopping into our Lubingo Studios, 46 past the hour as we continue. Adrian's movie reviews coming up right after Greg from the West Side. He joins us next. What's going on, Greg? How are you? Good, good. Hey, uh, I think that sounds like Sammy, old Sammy Hagar. It is old I, Sammy. Remember the heroes is what the song uh, is Red called. Red Rocker, baby. No, hey, hey, I hope you had had a great time in the, in the Big Apple with your family. I think it's an awesome thing, but. No, I had to uh, jump on in here. I heard you guys. I, I was joined a little bit late. I heard you all talking about, uh, I guess, the, the Sun Bowl or, or whatever they call it now, the Don Haskins Invitational. It's the West Star Don Haskins Sun Bowl Invitational. Thank you so much, my brother. But listen, speaking of Kent State, um, I have served 30-plus years as a volunteer ver- very proudly with the Sun Bowl Association as a downtown lion, a division chair with a, with a yearly Thanksgiving Day parade the media host committee. And then in 1999, I, I was invited to join the, uh, the basketball committee. And that year, originally I was going to be on, on, I guess, uh, Rhode Island university of Rhode Island was, uh, was uh, there. Yes. And I was traded to, uh, Kent state. And I think you were part of that committee as well, if I recall, but anyway, so yeah, okay, here I am with, with Kent state and UV and everything. And I got to meet some great people, the, the, the radio personalities, Coach uh, Gary Waters, yep. who had, had been here previously as an assistant with Eastern um, Washington, Eastern Michigan, I believe, some school. But that's the beauty of this tournament. It's like you build these relationships with these coaches. They, they're either assistants, underlings, and eventually they become a head coach. They go, hey, El Paso, the Sun Bowl Association, they do such a fantastic job. And so, you know, he comes here as the head, you know, head coach of Kent State. So, as I recall, um, Kent State or UTEP was up like 14-0 to start off that game, and Kent State came back and and uh, basically you know won, won, beat the Miners, won the tournament. And as uh, I guess you all were talking about, they were like the, the elite eight in the NCAA tournament. That's right. So I was glued. I was glued to them, watching them because I said, "Wait a minute, I know these players. I mean, I, I got to meet them. It's such a great experience." Well, fast forward in 2003. Uh, Rutgers University comes. Well, my wife studied at Columbia. They were here in, in 02. Rutgers comes here in 03. And I told our team captain, I go, hey, 
you need to, you know, get on with, with, uh, with Rutgers. And sure enough, here comes Coach Waters again because of that, that relationship. So, you know, Rutgers came down and uh, UTEP, I think, beat them, beat them well. But just the relationship, you know, the Coach Waters, Kent State, the legacy. Kent State, that year, 99, a bunch of incredible, you know, gentlemen, athletes. I mean, most of them were like underclassmen, sophomores, juniors. And they went on the next couple of years to do some big things in the tournament. So that's kind of my little experience with Kent State University. Go Flashes. All right. Good job. Appreciate you, Greg. Thanks for the story. And it all goes back to Kent State. Very nicely done uh, as we continue here on the program. Uh, 11 in front of six. Hags coming up uh, in just a few. Good to have this back. Adrian's Movie Reviews where Adrian uh, will give us uh, a a recent movie that he's watched and uh, give us uh, his thoughts, synopsis, and ratings, brought to you uh, each and every afternoon by our friends at uh, Alamo Drafthouse. That's right, Steve, out at Alamo Drafthouse over by Montecillo. They've actually revamped their uh, theaters, so they've got reclining seats, they've got nice sofa seats, and uh, they also have a click-to-order button now at the Montecillo location. You can go to either east or west locations for Alamo Drafthouse, and uh, you can get tickets ahead by visiting drafthouse.com for more. Uh, Steve, the movie that I got a chance to review uh, today, or that I'm getting a chance to review today, is Dead Alive. Uh, 1992 horror comedy film, a shorter film. Uh, This one received 7.5 out of 10 by IMDb, and it received 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I'll be honest with you, when I first started watching this film, I was thinking to myself, how did this get this kind of rating uh, from critics? And then it was just this absolute Absolute train wreck. I mean, like the one of the craziest films you'll ever watch. So it starts off by talking about this Sumatran rat monkey that is uh, basically, uh, I guess, kind of like a really weird thing that is uh, that all this uh, this tribe kind of goes off of, and this uh, this zoo ends up getting one of these Sumatran rat monkeys at their zoo. So now it it, it totally uh, goes over to a new story. Le- uh, Lionel uh, Lionel he falls in love with this girl named Paquita, and he really likes this girl. He wants to impress her, so they go to the zoo. His mom, I'm talking about Lionel's mom, He ends. she ends up like kind of visiting the zoo and like monitoring the two on the date. Well, the mom ends up getting bit by this Sumatran rat monkey, and she becomes a zombie. Uh, this uh, rat monkey makes everybody become zombies, and so uh, Lionel finds his mom, and he ends up storing her in his basement, tries to keep her still alive, but he knows that something's obviously wrong, so his mom ends up escaping the basement and she be she's just like biting people killing people left and right and and then the town starts to become a whole town filled of uh, filled with zombies but behind all of this Lionel is still trying to keep this secret away from Paquita who he's trying to impress this whole time this girl but uh, Steve this just snowballs into a, just a disaster of lies that Lionel just keeps literally in his basement he uh you know he he gives her this like tranquilizer there's this scene where he gives her this like tranquilizer which he thinks is going to get like poison her along with the other zombies that have come out of this instead it's like this stimulant this like animal stimulant so they go crazy all over the place uh soundtrack is great my favorite scene was when uh well, it was all the baby zombie scenes because there's this like ugly 
ugly baby zombie that's in this film, and it keeps reappearing like they cannot kill off this baby. So, I mean, the entire film is about Lionel and Paquita fighting off all these different zombies. Uh, I, I thought that, you know, when you, the, when you look at this one right here, um, other zombies end up spawning. Oh, of course, it ends up with a good, good ending. Uh, I found some really good trivia points to this one. So, IMDb has this rating where it's like the like how bloody is a movie like how gory bloody it is this was actually number one the number one all-time bloodiest film ever uh in the imdb system three in fact 300 liters of fake blood w were used in the final scene only the lawnmower scene yes the okay. lawnmower scene got it uh <laughs> dvd rentals of this movie out in sweden included a vomit bag um this was a fun one, Steve. I'll be honest with you. Like I, this one really kind of reminded me of Evil Dead. It's a cult film. It's a horror comedy film. So you start getting scared early on, and then you're just laughing by the middle and the end because it's so ridiculous. Uh, this one gets eight out of ten bananas for me because of the uh, the horror comedy kind of twist. I really like this one right here. I saw Dead Alive in college. It was either '92 or '93 when it came out, and I went with some buddies. And all I remember is we went to the liquor store. We grabbed um, a bottle of Nitrain, which is really, really bad cheap wine. I mean, it's like malt liquor-esque wine. And uh, we went to the theater with a bag. It was in the bag because we were allowed to bring it in, in the bag. And uh, we were, um, let's just put it this way. Um, as the movie started progressing, we thought it was one of the funniest movies we've ever seen in our entire lives. Like I just left thinking that was the funniest movie I've ever seen. And yeah, it's gory and it's supposed to be scary, but it is hilarious. And if you're on something, it makes it even funnier. Well, like, you, you see the first scene, and a guy gets his hand amputated, so you're like, oh, man, this is going to be scary. But then later on, you've got, got like, a little baby ripping through the face of a, of a other lady. So it's, like, it's hilarious the, how outlandish the scenes really were. It is. It is. I'm happy you gave it 8 out of 10. I'm happy you've seen it. What platform did you watch uh, Dead this, Alive? This one I watched on uh, on a, uh, a streaming device that I found online. I'll be honest. Good for you. All right. When we come back, final hour, we'll get into Hags. He'll be at the ballpark, and we'll keep Take you through. Uh, but up next, another Hall of Famer. That's right. We're going to continue our conversation profiling the class of 2022 with Wright Stanton. As Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. Our third profile for the class of 2022, the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame, uh, gives us the opportunity to welcome in Wright Stanton III, who was uh, going to be in the coach administrator category here for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, first off, Wright, great to have you on the program, and uh, I, I know things have been uh, difficult for you uh, personally, so I appreciate you taking the time and uh, joining us here on the show. Uh, thank you very much uh, for inviting me. It's, a, it's an honor. Um, when you heard the news that you were being nominated, not inducted, but nominated into the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame, what was your reaction? Um, I was really uh, shocked that I did get nominated uh, for that. Um, and, um, and it felt like it was just a... Um, a dream come true that it did happen. 
I'll tell you this much, right? What impresses me the most when I when I really read your story and and understand your relationship with swimming and uh, El Paso all these years is the fact that you're t- uh, self-taught. I mean, that's impressive and enough that you uh, you didn't really pick up swimming until you taught yourself how to swim and spent so many decades providing the kind of uh, knowledge to others that were able to help develop so many other swimmers in this community. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, thank you very much. What made you decide that you wanted to swim in the first place when you were back when you were a kid? Um, I was in when I was in college my freshman year, I applied for a work study program to help pay my way through college. Um, and then I got an offer uh, to become a lifeguard in the physical education department. So I, when I went for an interview for that position, They said one stipulation is that I had to be on the swim team. And so the swimmers uh, that were on the team said that we will teach you how to swim uh, all four competitive stroke, and we will get you certified as a lifeguard so that you can work. And that's where it all began. And that was in uh, 72. Wow. Okay, so we're going back 50 years, and this was at uh, Virginia State University, um, which, again, tells our, our listeners different times, different era, but to do work study, you had to learn to swim. Was there a fear at first, or did you uh, have a pretty smooth transition into the sport of swimming? Uh, I had a, a, a smooth transition into swimming, um, I was an athlete in high school. Uh, I ran cross country. I did track and field. Uh, played football, and so I think part of you know having that athletic background helped me to be able to adapt very quickly. You also spent many years uh, serving our military, and uh, first off, thank you for your service and and your contribution uh, to uh, you know our our military, and and that's really what brought you to Fort Bliss for the first time, isn't it? Uh, yes, it was. Yes. When you yeah. when you eventually decided to make El Paso your permanent home, right? Was swimming something that you had thought about at that point? Uh, no, at that point, I, I did not. Um, my wife had a full-time job teaching as, uh, in kin- kindergarten at Loma Terrace Elementary School. And since she already had a job, and uh, I felt that we should just stay here in El Paso. And I noticed, so, yep. And I noticed that for you, uh, it it always involved volunteering and helping out the kids. Whether it was baseball with Fort Bliss, basketball and flag football with the YMCA, and then all the years uh, you spent uh, in high school. So a lot of sports, a lot of uh, you know working with kids. Was that something that you just kind of gravitated to uh, as you were you know getting into coaching? Um, what happened once I had my kids, uh, my two sons and, and my daughter, and they were getting into different sports. And I, I looked at uh, the coaches that they have, and I felt that I wanted to teach my kids and other kids the basic fundamental skills of, 
you know, baseball, basketball, and flag, you know, flag football, and and teach them about it's not about winning, it's about sportsmanship, learning how to win, how, learn how to lose, uh, and then learning the skills to be successful in that sport. I also read uh, some of the letters from athletes you coached, and they really noted the mental aspect, and not just the physical aspect and the, the fundamental approach, but you you essentially taught a lot of these youngsters, um, you know, what it was like to handle the mental aspect of, of sport. That is sometimes more difficult than someone that, that really learns the proper fundamentals, right? The mental aspect. Yes, it, it really is. And and one thing uh, that I always tell my kids when they're, when they're racing or competing that, you know, it's not about the uh, winning and losing. It's about the sportsmanship and that, you know, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to have up and downs, and you got to learn with the success, with the failure, to be a good athlete. Right, Stanton the third with us uh, here on Sports Talk again in the coach administrator category for the class of of uh, 2022 for the El Paso Athletic uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, meanwhile, when you look at your relationship with High school swimmers, also Aquaposse, Leo Consolari, who I know brought you on board as a swimming specialist years ago. Um, was that something that as you got into um, working with some of the, the, the young swimmers here, word started to spread, and then the next thing you know, you just kept getting more and more opportunities at uh, the club level as well as the high school level? Uh, yes, and um, when uh, Leo Consolari brought me on board uh, to be a stroke specialist, um, I, I've learned a lot from him uh, about being a head coach, uh, about coaching athletes, and the relationship with the athletes. Uh, so it really helped me to get a good fundamental on coaching a swim team. Did you find that a lot of the young swimmers you worked with uh, didn't necessarily have the proper fundamentals because everybody said that technique was your biggest strength. Uh, you know, you're a stroke specialist. It's, it's a title that now seems kind of common because of where sports has started to, uh, I guess, progress in, in so many of specialized techniques and areas. But in the 90s, right, a stroke specialist sounds like something that would be almost unheard of in the youth sports world. Uh, yes, back then it was, it was, um, they always talk about yardage, 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 uh, and, and not so much about technique. And, uh, I felt that, uh, to get to the next level, you really have to analyze how you're performing, where you can improve to get to the next level. As far as the athletes you coached and worked with over the years, were there some that really just stood out and, and achievements that rank uh, there on the top of your list, uh, your personal list? Uh, yes. Um, I have a lot of athletes, you know, from elite athletes uh, that went all the way to the Olympic trials, uh, like Laura Jackson. Uh, there's some that did went to the Olympic trial, but didn't get like the top three, like Jake Hartley, 
Uh, some of them made junior national qualifying time, national qualifying times. Uh, but also, there's other swimmers might not have the skills to get at that level, but they did have the technique and the skills and the mental attitude to be able to swim at a Division three or a Division two college, and they were successful. In addition to everything we've talked about, you also spent over a decade working for the City of El Paso Parks and Rec Department as the aquatics manager. What what did that entail? Uh, that was how I had to oversee uh, 14 pools. It was 10 indoor pools and then four, uh, four outdoor pools. Uh, they had bond projects that came on board so that I oversaw the construction of the splash parks that they currently have. And then also the West Side Natatorium uh, oversaw the construction of that one uh, and making sure that they met all the specification for FINA and also USA Swimming so, so that we yeah. can be a certified pool. So it's safe to say, right, you are a swimming lifer over these last 50 years, ever since you started taking up the sport at Virginia State University to where we are right now, culminating with you uh, getting a chance to be inducted into the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, yes, and it's, it's an honor to be inducted in the El Paso Hall of Fame and, and representing uh, you know, the community of El Paso, the swimmers, uh, the coaches, uh, you know, and the parents that supported me. So I'll leave you with this. When people hear the name uh, Wright Stanton III, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, that's kind of a hard question. Uh, I'd like for them to remember me as an individual that helped them uh, through making decisions in life. Um, you know, because, you know, you, you get a lot of challenges, you have ups and downs, uh, and so they need to learn how to handle it and, and move on and be successful uh, on there and also be able to do the same thing that I'm doing now is to coach uh, other athletes, other swimmers uh, that doesn't have the opportunity uh, to swim. And so... Uh, and then seeing them being coaches, and so I see that now, and it, it really makes me really excited uh, because the coach on uh, the West Texas Typhoon, uh, I coached him when he was on EPAP under Leo Consolari, and now he's coaching. Uh, so there's quite a few swimmers here in El Paso that I've coached, and they're coaching now, and it makes me really excited to see that. Second generation. There's nothing better than that. And and who knows? We yeah. might be seeing third generation soon. So it's uh that's that's a great way to look at things. I love it. Right? Congratulations again. I look forward to seeing you on induction night and we appreciate you joining us here on Sports Talk. All right. Thank you for inviting me very much. I appreciate it very much. God, he's right standing the third, folks, and he joins us live as we continue. 15 past. Charlie won with traffic. We'll wrap it up next with Hags from the ballpark as Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso.